1: It's your SEC-centric podcast here on The Athletic. I'm your host, Aaron Suttles-Alley. I'm a football beat writer for The Athletic. And it's Tuesday, and it means it's the subscriber participation day of the show where you guys send in all your awesome questions, and I have the tough task of trying to pick which ones to answer and then actually answer them. And this week was particularly difficult because you guys had a lot of great questions. Um, Before we get started, like I always do, sort of a weekly uh, ask from me to you is to uh, please subscribe, rate, and review Football and Grits if you can. It helps us get the podcast out to new listeners, um, and new listeners helps get the, um, the popularity of the shows up. So we really certainly appreciate your listenership, and, um, and for those who've already done that, we can't thank you enough. Let's dive right into the questions. Jim W. starts off with a question about South Carolina's new head football coach. That's right, if you missed it. Uh, with all the news going around and the holiday seasons and the traveling and everything that's got been going on, you may have missed it, but uh, most of you are on top of things, so you probably know it. But Shane Beamer has been named the new head coach of South Carolina. So Jim W. asks Shane Beamer, what impact does he have on South Carolina's program, and will he be able to turn them into a contender? Man, South Carolina is just historically a difficult job. When, when you just look back at what, what the history of South Carolina football is, and i'm always I'm always a little cautious to say that because once we're not all doomed to our history if we were all doomed to uh, uh to to put limits on what we could be then there would never be we'd never strive for anything greater right so i always I always try to issue sort of um, um a warning that. You, yeah looking back at history is great but you don't want to limit it because then what's the use in ever trying to be greater I mean that would that's essentially what we strive for every day is to improve ourselves to improve our situation to improve our lives um, We all strive for that every day so but but there is a reality when you look at historically um, you know what your program can be and a lot of that when you look at it in terms of a football program is the support you have for the program. Um, the area in, in which your program um, sits in, in terms of recruiting landscape, um, your sort of standing in the conference that you compete in, I think is is is, is one that's um, relative to this conversation. And it historically, you know, at least since South Carolina came into the SEC, um, they've sort of been their hierarchy is is where it is. Now that we've seen some good days, we saw what Lou Holtz did there. Certainly, the high pro- point of the program is. Is what Steve Spurrier did there, and you know he even cited if you go back and look at you know the reasons he said he went to South Carolina is he wanted to go a place and do something that had never been done, uh, but even the great Steve Spurrier never got him a conference championship. Now they got there. I think if you look at the the high point of the Spurrier area, it's obviously that 2011 to 13 seasons where they they accomplished 11 wins. So we've seen it possible now, but I'm always one about context. You got to put into context what we're seeing. And the context to what we saw during that great run with Steve Spurrier, the three straight 11-1 seasons, is it was really great years for South Carolina in, in terms of produ- producing talent. And South Carolina got a lot of that talent. Um, and and so that played – I mean, that w- that was huge. In that You think about the, the players they had now, Sean Jeffrey, and um, the great running back and the great defensive back that, that they had – during that time, the great defensive line. I mean, they had some, they had some, they had some guys, and they earned those eleven wins all three of those seasons. But I say that I mean it took. I don't, I don't want to call it a perfect storm, but it did take some things coming together to make that happen. One was that South Carolina produced really good in-state talent, and South Carolina got that in-state talent. Um, another thing is that the SEC East was a little different, right? You, you look back in 2011, uh, Georgia went 10 and four, Florida went seven and six that 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 first year of the the three straight 11 win seasons and then you go back to, to 12 it was actually a good year in the sec east georgia was 12 and 2 florida was 11 and 2 south carolina got 11 wins that's that's strong football out of one one division of the sec and then 2013 was was not a good year in the sec east um georgia was eight and five florida was four and eight missouri actually came out of nowhere and won 12 games that year south carolina had eleven eleven 11 wins so um, those are two of the things that you look at. So Shane Beamer, what, what does he face? Well, he faces all of that that I mentioned is that you got to get your share of, of, of recruits, but he also is doing it in a different sec. It's tough right now. And he's also doing it where Clemson is one of the best programs in the country in his own state. So it's, it's, can he turn them into a contender? I guess it just, what, what is your definition of contender? Are We expect South Carolina to compete for the East every year. I just don't see that happening. Should they, um, should their goal be to not have losing seasons? Yeah, I, I think that's a realistic goal. Um, I just think, you, you know, with the way Georgia's recruiting, with the way Clemson's recruiting, um, and, and now Florida has jumped into it with Dan Mullen. Um, Alabama's now going out there and getting players from that part of the country. Um, the landscape's tougher than ever, uh, but but Shane Beamer has been, the, been in that program, knows what he's getting into. I just think it's a tough, tough job. Um, I, I think South Carolina fans should want and should hope for more consistency than Will than Will Muschamp gave them, and 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 that's realistic. And um, I think that's doable. The thing with Shane is going to be, can he recruit? That's what's gonna that's the first thing that's gonna that people are gonna look at if you can't recruit then you can't win at South Carolina on the same lines uh, chip C uh, submits a question should South Carolina strongly consider leaving the SEC to join another conference over the last 60 years only one conference football championship season in 1969 when they were in the ACC maybe Vandy should leave as well certainly a long and undistinguished record of competitive disadvantage it's something that you think about. Um, you know, you you look at conferences, and the first thing you think is, are they a cultural fit to your conference? I think South Carolina is. I think Steve Spurrier did a really one of the good things that Steve Spurrier did at South Carolina is he tapped into the boosters to give back to the program to give to start spending some money. You know, they they built all these great facilities at South Carolina; they really are awesome. If you haven't checked them out, go look at the facilities that South Carolina has. You got to get a boosters. You got to get your boosters to write checks. That's the only way. How much does football mean to the people in your state? How much does football mean to the people that give to the program? I think, I think Steve Spurrier got that engine going in the right direction. Um, so cultural fit is one thing I look at for programs. and I think, I think now that South Carolina is, uh, has upped that part of its game, I do think they're a cultural fit in the SEC. The other thing is geographical fit. Certainly South Carolina fits that as well. Um, Missouri's the one I always look at and I wonder, are they happy in the SEC? Are they a cultural fit? Probably not. We all know why they're in the SEC. They opened up a part of the country from a television perspective um, that that could help negotiate bigger television contracts for the SEC. I think we all are aware of that. I don't think they're a cultural fit. I don't think they're a geographical fit. Um, so I've always wondered, are they happy in the SEC? But here's the here's the one key element: when presidents and um, Board of Regents, or um, I- I- any of these guys make these, any of these groups make these decisions about, you know, the long term plans for their program, which is off- often conference affiliation. We don't see as much of it as we did, you know, 10 years ago when we started talking about super conferences and whatnot, but it's still out there. Uh, and now we've settled into this, you know, power five that sort of defines what we view as the the power brokers within at least college football. Um, w- one thing you have to think about is the money. Are you going to walk away from the SEC cutting you a big check? And re- remember, the SEC, once it gets away from the, the CBS portion of its contract, and I believe it's almost a done deal with ESPN, um, I don't know if – the I can't remember if the, the contract's officially official yet, but we all it's been reported it's happening. It's going to jump the revenue way up because CBS was robbing the SEC for a long time in terms of what they were paying comparatively to what comparable to what you know the Big Ten was getting or or other or other leagues. The CBS was stealing the SEC in, in terms of how much they were paying the rights to broadcast this game. Uh, ESPN is going. ESPN basically has all of the SEC now under one umbrella, and the the money is huge. Are you going to walk away from that? If you're South Carolina, can you afford to walk away from that? Do you even want to walk away from that? Um, because you know they've they've won College World Series, so they're competitive in baseball. Uh, we we see what their women's basketball program has become. You know, I, obviously, you're talking about this from a from a football perspective. And that's sort of how you are asking the question: Should they walk away? But they've they've been they've been competitive enough. It's not like they're as you mentioned they're not Vanderbilt. Um, so I don't think if you are South Carolina you walk away. I, I don't because one the money's too big. Um, two, where are you going to go? And and three, you are you are a competitor. You're not gonna. I mean, it's not like you're getting your doors blown off every week. You know, it's not like you went four years without winning a game in the SEC. You're not. It's not that bad. If you're, if you're asking from the standpoint of where you can go to win championships, I mean, short of dropping down a level, um, I don't know. I, mean, I guess the ACC is so inconsistent, but you still got to deal with Clemson, and you guys got those. You got Clemson on the schedule every year anyway, which is your annual measuring stick game. So I get where the question is coming from, but the answer is no, you don't walk away because there are too many zeros on that check that you get every year, and it funds a lot of, a lot of uh, salaries in that athletic department. It funds other sports in that a- athletic department, and you can't walk
0: away from that. Here's a really good question from William B. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: And he put a lot of thought into this, and and I'm I'm very appreciative of how thoughtful this question was. He asked, if possible, put aside the easy caricature of Auburn as a hair-trigger program from coaching changes. There's actually been... um, Normal, if not above average stability over 40 years, look it up. Now that you've done that, please answer. Should Auburn make a change at the top, given that fan apathy and further slippage behind Georgia, Alabama, Florida, LSU, and A&M could cost more than the 30-day $10 million check to Gus? The rest is paid over time and could be absorbed as part of operating cost. If not, what is the rational breaking point for a historical top 15 program fan base that one is paying the staff $15 million, a year to go 0 13 against his three biggest rivals away from Jordan here, Jordan here, Stadium over eight years. Uh, has now lost at least four games for seven consecutive years. Was consistently dominated in the trenches on both sides of the ball in 2020. Has an offensive minded head coach who has yet to develop a high school quarterback signee and has fielded haphazard offense for five of the last six years. I'm going to go out on a limb, guys, and say William is not a big fan of Malzahn. <laughs> Here's the thing with Gus Malzahn, and and it's sort of a thing with Auburn, right? Is that Auburn is the ultimate wild card roller coaster team, um, the, a team that can come out of nowhere and propel itself into the national championship game, um, i.e., 2013, or it can be favorites and fall flat on its face. Um, or and I think that's what frustrates Auburn fans. Like, there's a joy, there's a beauty to Auburn football because of that instability and that uncertainty to 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 the 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 peaks and the valleys. I mean, from not an Auburn fan, but just from a college football fan's viewing perspective, it's fun because they because it's fun because they provide so many unexpected moments. I mean, think about some of the great games that you've seen. I mean, and a lot of them involve Auburn from the unexpectedness. Um, so, but if you're a fan, you don't, you don't want, um, you don't, it's like going to see a thriller movie. It's great, but do you, all you want to watch are thriller movies and your blood pressure is going to be through the roof, right? If, if you sat down all day, every day and watched nothing but thrillers, it's exciting, man, I didn't see that coming. I didn't know he was going to be the killer. You're sitting on the edge of your seat. But it's also, there's a there's the adrenaline that comes with that. But there's also the anxiety. And an anxiety, folks, is not good for your blood pressure. It's not good for your health. And so if you're an Auburn fan, I understand where the question's coming from. But there's the financial reality. And William's right. There would be a, um, a $10 or $11 million check that would be due to Gus Malzahn within a month. Within a month of if they fired him. It's not like, hey, now... As with all anything, if you know if you wanted to work something out and you wanted renegotiate the terms of that contract, you can do so. But what would Gus Malzahn's uh, motivation be for doing that? What would Jimmy Sexton's motivation be for doing that? So he's kind of got Auburn where he wants them, and, and he, you know if if you miss really where frustration is with Auburn fans right now. There was a, a press conference this this on I believe on Sunday night. Uh, or, after the game some point, and after the loss of this weekend, in which Gus you know started talking about you know if if this has been a normal year and we had our regular out of conference games, this is about an average year for us and and then Auburn fans are looking at that and like average I mean we don't want to be average i mean we we don't that's what we're tired of being is is that you know perennial four loss team we don't want that we're we're very appreciative of the you know. the the great year we get like once every three or four years, but we can't stand the other three or four years where we're losing four games a year and we're losing them to our biggest rivals. And I think that's where Auburn comes down because Auburn's rivals historically, the two biggest rivals, obviously, Alabama and Georgia, and they're just, they're two of the best programs in the country right now. And so you can't escape that. That's two games you got to play every year. Now Auburn's never run from that. Auburn welcomes that, and there have been times. Uh, what was it, 2017? That at Auburn handled this business quite well against those programs, and it pr- propelled them uh, into the SEC championship game. And, and fortunately, you know, unfortunately, they had a rematch against Georgia it didn't go their way, but they were that close to getting the College Football Playoff. So it can, it's a double edged sword in that yes, they have two of the best programs in the country as their main rivals, but. It, it, it can help, it can fuel them, but it could also sabotage them. Because if it's an average year for Auburn football, which is what William is saying, is there are too many average years, that's a guaranteed two losses. Now, Auburn is surprised, and, and they've done some things, and they won their fair share in those games. But he's talking about specifically away from Jordan-Hare, it's been a horror show, which, which is right. Now, Auburn uh, got Alabama in 2019 in Jordan-Hare. But he's talking about specifically away from Jordan Hare, it's embarrassing. Um, it, I think where you have to make up your mind is how you want to spend your resources. And I don't, I don't know the ins and outs of so that athletic department budget right now. I know right now is a, a horrible time, right, with um, with COVID and losing all um, – first you had the, the NCAA tournament money that you lost out on, and then now you've not had your full allotment of fans for a, for a full home game uh, slate – uh, of football games that revenue that you lost out on which includes parking and concessions and, and then ticket sales obviously and 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 so you, and you're playing fewer games i'm sure the television money uh this year coming in the into the sec because they didn't offer up a full inventory of games is going to be less so if you're if you're being a financial steward of auburn you have to weigh that now fans don't really concern themselves with that but the athletic department does, and I think it comes down to, as, as with most things, when, when you get to this level of, of, of making decisions on the future of your football program, it's, it's not just Alan Green's decision, and you guys know that. Auburn fans know that. Just like at Alabama, it's not just Greg Burns' decision. It's, it's the big money players. It's the guys that you go to every year, and you ask them to write you a big check. Well, when it comes time to make big decisions, a lot of those guys and girls who write those checks get an input. And so for this one, if the sentiment is such with the, the powerful Auburn boosters that they can't take it anymore, then you have to go to them, if you're Alan Green, and say, okay, then I need X amount of millions of dollars to make this happen because it's not just Gus Malzahn. It's a staff you've got to replace. And then, and then you've got to go get another coach. And so – Here's what I always advise when, when fans talk about they don't like their coach, which is sometimes very obvious why a program doesn't like their coach. It's a little less obvious with Gus from the outside. Auburn fans are well aware of it, but from outside because because Auburn is that roller coaster program and sometimes the highs stick in your head, then you sort of miss out unless you're, you know, with that program's and, and, and doing the daily, you know, just obsession with your program. If you're an outside fan or outsider looking in, you you remember the highs of Gus Malzahn, but you don't remember the mediocrity, which I think that's, you know, talking to enough Auburn fans, they're tired of the mediocrity. But here's where I always tell people when you want to get rid of your coach. Don't fire your coach unless you know who you're going to hire. Because, I mean, you guys can, can remember some of these national coaching searches and how far down the list some of these programs get and how embarrassing it can be to them. If if you can't if you can't tempt the coach that you want you don't want to be stuck out there getting turned down by everyone and that's where some programs can be sometimes now if you you know if you're if you're an astute athletic director you're probably trying to backdoor either through a coaching firm uh, coaching search firm and letting that deal with an agent that way you can have plausible deniability. Um, in negotiations and you can say, Well, we, we got a coach, I don't know anything about that, and that's the way these things work. But you don't know who you you don't fire your coach unless you know who you're gonna hire. And you certainly don't fire a coach and pay them tens of millions of dollars to go away unless you know who you're gonna hire unless you kind of feel like unless you kind of feel like it's a slam dunk hire. Right? Like take Texas for instance. There there's been this ongoing flirtation with Urban Meyer. If you can get Urban Meyer, yeah, you may part ways with Tom Herman. But if you can't get Urban Meyer, who are you going to go get? And, our, and, our, and, and and the question then becomes, are you going to invest tens of millions of dollars to let a guy go when you're not absolutely sold on the next guy you're going to bring in? Uh, Auburn fans are frustrated, as you can tell by that question. Final question of the day. Derek M. saw some interesting stats comparing Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. They dealt with actual yards per touchdown reception and overall attempts. Could this be another Heisman stuff for an Alabama quarterback due to voters not watching the games, in-depth stats, and only looking at final stats? This has been my, this has been my critique of Heisman voters for far too long. They have to have stats. That's why it's, become an, that's why it's absolutely become a quarterback award. And that's why if there's ever a dual-threat quarterback – that's having a good season. Like You you put up an elite dual-threat quarterback versus an elite pro-style quarterback, and the dual-threat quarterback's going to win it every time. Because for sports writers and people who vote on this, man, they cannot get enough stats. And guess what the dual-threat quarterback gives you? The dual-threat quarterback gives you stats in two different areas. Their, sports writers' minds just are blown. They can't take it. We are too reliant on stats in this. In, in, in some ways, you have to be because the college football beat writers watching one game in depth a week. Now they they can see other games on before their games start, they may catch some games after their games over and they've they've done interviews and they've transcribed and they've written and they've filed. They may they may have time to see uh, parts of other games, but there is no way you can see in depth a, a lot of different games. It's just not physically possible if you're a beat writer. So that's why in defensive sport writers they they are so reliant upon stats, but I think you can't be relying on touchdown passes, which I think is what Derek M. is pointing out here, and the fact that when Alabama gets close to the goal line, they're handing the ball off to Najee Harris, and he's got a ridiculous amount of touchdowns rushing on the season, leads the conference. And when Florida gets down close to the goal line, they're still throwing with Kyle Trask and often to Kyle Pitts, and, and that's their offense. It doesn't make one better than the other, but it makes Kyle Trask look better because he's got you know, 10, 12 more touchdown passes, whatever it is, than Mac Jones um both are phenomenal players Uh, i I would not begrudge anyone for voting either way um i do think that that sports writers need to use more context with their votes on some of this stuff but some of it can be very difficult to get that context because as i mentioned if you're a if you're a if you're a, a college football beat writer at, at Florida or Alabama, you're seeing every snap of Mac Jones. If you're the Alabama beat writer, you're seeing every snap of Kyle Trask. You know what you're seeing the other time? You're seeing their highlights, which is them throwing touchdown passes. Um, in in oftentimes not all of their touchdown passes. It's a highlight clip. It's you know ten seconds, fifteen seconds long. So it can be hard to get that context if you're a beat writer because you're only seeing one team a weak play. So um, I've – as take me, for instance. I've seen every snap that Mac Jones has, has taken this year. I've watched every game. I've seen everything he does. Um, and I've seen the highlights of Kyle Trask. Um, they're both phenomenal players. If they both continue the way they're going, I would imagine that uh, December 19th in Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta will go a long way to determining how someone would vote. Uh, it's, it's sad that it comes down to, to that one game. But that's sort of the way it happens, right? Um, I mean, Tua had the 2018 Heisman Trophy, you know, seemingly sewn up. He gets hurt in the SEC championship game, and then suddenly, it Kyler Murray became his. award well, became a one-game season. So it is what it is. You know, you don't get too worked up over it. But both of these players are phenomenal, and you know, hopefully, we'll see them put on a show in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and I'm sure that that show, whoever. Um, performs better that day we might get a leg up on the other guy hey thanks for listening thanks for the questions the submitted questions they were awesome as always coming up on football and grits on Wednesday David Oven and Josh Kendall take you inside the SEC East and yes I'm sure Josh and David can tell you a little bit about South Carolina's new football coach Shane Beamer thanks a lot for listening catch you guys next time on football and grits <laughs>